Hi, everyone. This is Maria with TopBots. Welcome to our AI for Growth Executive Education Series, where we interview the top leaders at companies that are successfully applying AI to enterprise problems. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Kevin Scott, who is the CTO of Microsoft. So Kevin, a couple weeks ago, we were having a discussion over lunch, and you mentioned about the extraordinary impact of the combination of AI and IoT and how that's really transforming enterprise workflows. Can you give our audience a sense of where you're really seeing the most opportunity and the most ROI in this space? Yeah, sure. So just stepping all the way back and looking at the trends, I think one of the more exciting times in computing since the early 90s, there are a few things that are happening at once that are combining in a very interesting way. One of those trends is that IoT itself is exploding. Variety of different studies from a variety of different sources, but the Gartner study, for instance, on IoT devices indicates that we're probably going to go to somewhere north of 20 billion devices by 2020. So these are computing devices that are connected to the internet. And just by frame of reference, we're probably at 11 or 12 billion IoT devices right now. There are about a billion PCs and two and a half billion smartphones. So the IoT sector is an order of magnitude larger than the largest computing platform that has emerged to date. And that is in and of itself an incredibly exciting thing and a really interesting opportunity, I think, for all of us. But when you combine that with the fact that Silicon is becoming much more powerful at, at an accelerating clip when you are thinking about the types of silicon required for doing AI model training and AI inference. So that particular type of compute power has been growing by maybe a factor of 10x in terms of price performance over the past five years. And we we see that trend line continuing for probably another five orders of magnitude emerging over the next eight years or so. And so that has obvious implications for the high end of computing, where in the cloud, you're going to have huge amount of additional capacity over the coming years, like build more sophisticated models. But it also means that the power of AI is coming to consumer price point devices on the edge of the cloud in, in this IoT environment. So you take that and you take the fact that these IoT devices are increasingly sensor equipped, and you really do have what we think is going to be a new computing paradigm. We're calling it the intelligent edge because it's not just about the fact that computing is becoming ubiquitous and sort of merging into your environment where any room that you're going to step into is potentially going to have tens of these devices each capable of sensing what's going on inside of its environment and reacting intelligently to it. It really is going to require a bunch of change in the way that we're thinking about how we build and manage these systems. So what are some examples? Some You mentioned so many more AI applications are going to come to consumers when it comes on these edge devices. What are some applications that maybe weren't possible before, but that businesses should now be thinking about given the explosion of IoT devices and the proliferation of AI? Well, you're already seeing the early stages of these things and the intelligent speakers that are coming out. But I think that's really just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And if we do our job right, 
over the coming years, you're going to sort of start to see more and more applications. You know, one of the interesting ones that has been written about a little bit are these smart stores, uh, retail outlets where they're using IoT devices and cameras, shelf sensors, and a bunch of AI and computer vision models to identify you as you come into the store and just look at which items you are putting in your shopping cart and taking out of the store where you don't even have to check out. And there are more and more of these stores sort of popping up as proofs of concept. It's not that that necessarily is going to be this wave that sweeps through retail and redefines everything. We should all look at that as sort of an inspiration for the sorts of things that you could do with this new technology. And just by way of an example, my wife had surgery early this year. So I was getting to hang out a lot in the surgical unit recovery area at one of our hospitals here in the Bay Area. And I was just sort of noticing all of the processes and workflows. And so one of the things that that happens when you're in recovery from surgery is the doctors want you to get some level of activity, but they want to make sure that you're not, not overly active might injure yourself after the surgery you've just had. And so right now, the way that they monitor your activity is they have nurses. In this particular hospital, there were only four on shift for this entire ward. And there's no way that these nurses can keep a close eye on every one of the patients that were in recovery. But if you look at these IoT devices with cameras and computer vision models, it should be very, very easy for for us to write software in this new world that's coming that would identify when my wife is in the common area walking around and they can add to her tally of activity. And if she's below her activity level, you can alert the nurses at their workstation or on their mobile device and say, patient Scott isn't getting up to their daily level of prescribed activity today. Or if they're overactive, they can send an urgent alert right away saying, you need to go find this patient right now and get them back to their room. That's the, I think there are going to be hundreds of thousands of scenarios like this, that this flavor of software can power. Right now, it's not that we've got some packaging issues with the technology, like we need to do some more work to make it more accessible to more folks. But the other part of the problem or challenge, I should say, is getting people to imagine what's going to be possible in this new world. Right. Because when you take IoT and you put it with AI, you're talking about bringing two huge trends, two highly technical and very difficult to understand technologies together. And so there's definitely going to be a lot of challenges implementing that on an enterprise scale. So in your experience, what are some of the things that executives can do to better prepare and increase their chances of success when implementing these kinds of AI plus IoT applications? I think the biggest thing that you can do is availing yourself of some of the common infrastructure that's emerging right now in the cloud, basically. We're talking about IoT and, you know, like the first thing that I mentioned is the cloud, but having the the cloud is the sort of coordination backplane for everything that's happening on IoT. So making sure that your data is in the cloud and that you've sort of gotten yourself into a good state where you're comfortable with your data governance, you understand what pieces of data you do and don't have will really help inform the types of 
AI that you're going to be able to build. And then getting your organization thinking about all of the AI tools that are available right now. Some of these things are still incredibly elite where you need computer science degrees and lots and lots of experience in order to AI model. Some of the tools, though, are getting to be incredibly easy, like their computer vision things like being a little self-serving here, uh, you know, as a CTO of Microsoft, you can use our Azure Cognitive Services APIs to do a customized computer vision stuff, for instance. And so we have trained a bunch of baseline models for computer vision for you, but you can come to us with your bespoke data, things that are unique to you, and you can add your data to our models and get a customized model out of the other end that lets you do things like identify the faces of your employees, for instance, or if you are in manufacturing, for instance, being able to identify your inventory and your parts that you are using in your manufacturing processes. Just sort of making yourself aware of what these capabilities are, I think is a really sort of important thing right now. And then the the other thing is sort of thinking through what your security policies are, I think is really, really quite important. One of the really interesting things, again, that I think we all will have to think through with this explosion of connected devices is that it's going to present a security challenge that is far more interesting even than the smartphone, laptop, BYOD sets of issues that enterprises have. So do you allow someone to take a smart IoT device and, and add it to your corporate wireless network and trying to, you know, some companies are already thinking through this with these, uh, you know, smart speakers. Like I've, I've chatted with folks who are like, yeah, you know, no, no Amazon Echoes on intelligent smart speakers on our corporate networks. And that may be a knee-jerk reaction that cuts you off from interesting future possibility. Right. So as AI becomes embedded in everything, there's a natural fear, especially exacerbated by the media, that kind of this combination of AI and IoT is going to disrupt workforces and put people out of jobs. So I know that you spent a lot of time thinking about this, and you believe that that does not have to be the case at all. So can you share more of your thoughts and stories on this particular topic? Yeah, I, th- I think we we as a society and we as a technology industry get to choose the path that we walk down. The technology industry is building these tools and capabilities and the rest of the industry, government, society are deciding how they get deployed. And one of the interesting and sort of super fun things about my job is I get to see a fairly broad spectrum of AI development, just to give you a for instance, two of the most inspiring things that I've seen technologically over the past year are the developments that we're seeing in precision medicine and precision agriculture. And so these are areas where you look at, let's just take precision agriculture, for instance. So We are entering an era where this intelligent edge, like having these AI-capable devices everywhere, including being able to mount them in drones, is allowing you to gather more and more interesting data about agricultural operations. 
a few years ago, and maybe this is uh, this is probably still you know sort of state of the art. If you want to build a hydrology model for your crops to understand where the wet and dry spots are in a field and and try to optimize how you're delivering water to make sure that you're wasting as little water as possible and you are getting your crops the exact amount of water that they need, you'd have to go through this incredibly expensive and tedious exercise of putting a bunch of water sensors all over the place and flow meters inside of your mechanical irrigation systems and really this sort of domain that was, you'd have to have fairly large scale agricultural operations to do this. And it was an an elite thing. Now you can take a thousand dollar drone that's got something that's the equivalent of a Raspberry Pi running a computer vision model and like fly it over a field. And it can build a fairly high accuracy hydrology model for that field so that you can then optimize your, your irrigation. So it's virtually free AI running on super cheap commodity hardware. And so that is a flow of AI where the technology is creating abundance. It's not concentrating power into the hands of the few. It is making things that were inaccessible to tons and tons of people before accessible to orders of magnitude more people. I see that trend happening across the board in R&D and agriculture, and these innovations, I think, will be flowing out into the economy over the next five to 10 years. And same thing's happening with medicine, where you take this combination of increasingly ubiquitous data about the human body, like heart tick data that's coming from smartwatches or from fitness bands, uh, for instance, and then coupling this data with contemporary AI, like deep neural networks, for instance. And The things that you're going to be able to do are are just really incredible, like predicting serious health conditions for virtually free before a patient is symptomatic when it's, relatively speaking, easier to fix the the underlying health condition than it is after the patient is, is sick. These things can potentially like really, really transform the world in this positive way. And so... What world we get, I think, is going to depend largely on whether we're thinking about AI as this empowering technology that creates abundance versus this narrowing technology that concentrates uh, control. I'm a huge proponent and hugely optimistic about the potential of the, the former. Right. There's absolutely no doubt that AI has so much benevolent potential for our society, especially in the areas that you mentioned, precision agriculture and precision medicine. But I want to dig into this argument that people will sometimes throw out. Like they'll say, okay, well, now that you have a drone with AI doing these hydrology models, what happens to the guy whose job it was to build these models by hand, right? So what does that mean to some of these people who their jobs literally are being automated? And you are really seeing this in industrial applications where people's jobs have literally been automated. What is your thought on that and what has been your experience analyzing these different industries on what's really happening with automation? There, There is disruption happening. But what I'm really seeing with these things is if you're talking about a small local organic farmer in eastern Washington state, we, we have 
folks that we were collaborating on that fit that exact profile. There was no guy building a hydrology model before. This technology just wasn't accessible to folks who were running a small operation. And you take that to the developing world and where we're really seeing some huge impacts happening right now. There definitely wasn't a guy on the small farm in rural India building hydrology models or building AI that's sort of accurately predicting when folks should be planting crops or just dozens and dozens of these applications. There, there was no one doing the work before. And so what you get when you apply the technology is just more productivity and better quality products with less detrimental side effects, like in the case of agriculture, to, to the environment. But you, you are right. There are places where there's job disruption. Like I've been doing this for a really long time. I think I've been the first machine learning system I, I built was about 15 years ago. And the thing that I think you will see is that these machine learning systems have this huge potential to create the opportunity for people to do higher value work. It's not that you're permanently displacing jobs, like usually the things that the machine automates are the most tedious things in the world. And the thing that you can free someone up to do is much higher value. I'll give you one final example. So when I was a young engineer, one of my first jobs was working for an electronics contract manufacturer. And this is like a company that was less than 20 people in Lynchburg, Virginia. And you had a very small number of people trying to make this business work. So you had people who would do QA on circuit boards, they would do assembly, they would do post-assembly testing. They were context switching across like a bunch of different things. And so as I've sort of started uh, thinking about what AI can do, like I've just imagined how computer vision for doing QA in my old business would have helped out with things. You can absolutely, like with this process called infrared reflow soldering, you could totally put a camera on either end of this reflow solder machine to look at a circuit board before it goes in and when the circuit board comes out of the machine to like basically replace the visual inspection that a human being would be doing. And in, in the context of this old company that I worked at, it wouldn't have eliminated anyone's job. It, would have, it was this super tedious thing that was distracting them from something else, higher value, that they otherwise would both prefer to be doing and that generated more value for the company. So I think the, the thing with AI is, is, and this is the misconception I think people have, is it is not going to be this sort of godlike human resembling thing that comes in and replaces the, the actual need for human beings in the economy. It's a thing that can come in and sort of make tedious work across a bunch of different, I mean, like hundreds of thousands, like it's going to be this super long tail of AI applications that people are going to build the same way that people built hundreds of thousands of applications when PCs became ubiquitous a few decades ago. And the things that they build, like there's going to be this whole industry that gets created out of the building. It's going to make a gazillion jobs. And then the things that they're automating is just going to 
alleviate people from doing like a whole bunch of tedious work so that they can find the higher value things that human beings are uniquely situated to doing. Right. Thank you so much for that example, Kevin. I love the personal story of this tedious thing that you would love to fix with AI and IoT. So I really appreciate the positive attitude. We definitely need more of that when we are thinking about AI applications that we can build for ourselves, for our companies, and for our society. Um, So thank you so much today, Kevin, for being on the AI for Growth Executive Education Series. Really appreciated your commentary. Cool. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.